Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. We've got a great service today. Like, we just spent four weeks talking about the joy of the Lord. Um, And I don't know about you, but like, I really believe, and I sensed in my own life, but I believe for us as a church that God just took us to a whole nother level in understanding of what joy is, how we live in joy, how we live through joy, what he's promised us when it comes to joy. And so with that in mind, we're starting a new series called Ready Player One. Um, And I'm going to be honest with you, this is a fun series. It's two weeks. um, And I say fun because I I really do believe that we're just going to have a lot of enjoyment going through this. Um, It's not a lamenting series. We're not going to sit here and be like, oh man, I could do better. We're going to go through what I believe is God's word for us with just this jovial behavior. I'm just giving myself license to make jokes that I probably wouldn't have in any other moment. But we're here and we're ready to go. So ready, play or one. Ever just wake up in the morning and just have this thought to yourself like, man, we live in a really crazy world. Just... Like you just think to yourself, what crazy world? Some things make complete sense in this world then some things kind of make sense. You know, those kind of make sense things. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. Some stuff is just a little different. And then there's this straight out weird stuff that goes on. And I sit there sometimes and I think to myself, man, this is weird. We live in a weird world. And, and what I love about it is that God knows that we live in a weird world. He's sort of like, he sort of gives us the ability not just to accept, like we, we shouldn't try to make this, weird, this world super normal, right? Because what is normal? Uh, what we should be doing is enjoying the weirdness of it and that God has made you a player in this weird game of life. Turn to the person next to you, wherever you are, be like, you're a player. And then, and then be like, you know what? Get ready. Get ready, player. Like sometimes I get up and I think all these things and I'm like, oh, I get super pumped. I'm weird like that, right? When there's chaos, when there is just weirdness, like I love watching weird things take place. Like, I, you know, when weird people walk into the room, like they instantly get my attention. Like if you're normal and you walk in, good luck getting my attention. But you walk in and you've got a bit of crazy on you. I'm like instantly, I'm, I'm wanting to talk to you. Maybe once I suss you out, see if you're safe. And, and like all these things, I get super pumped. Because I realize we don't know nothing about nothing and how much we need God. Like, we honestly don't know anything really in relation to this world. We think we do. And I love like in this postmodern sort of society we live in that, that the more we, you know, delve into the scientific nature that surrounds us, which I do believe without a shadow of the doubt, like points to a intelligent divine creator, the more we look at it, the more we think that things like spirituality and the, the spiritual realms don't exist or something like that. And, and at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? I get excited because we live in a weird world. We live in an exciting world. We live in a world where we like, we need God. And I get excited because the reason I have so much fun on this side of eternity is because I know. Yes, I know. He holds a few. Come on, Colin. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Come on, everybody. Because he lives. Yeah. I can feel. Anyway. Do you know the, the last verse of that song, if you're old enough to remember, it goes like this. And then you can just imagine like, like 
old school gospel keys, right? And it'd be like, and then one day I'll cross the river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then, as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he reigns. Because he... Come on! That's why I get excited about this world because because he lives, I can get up every morning no matter how crazy it is, no matter what I'm facing, pain, hurt, excitement, and know because he lives... He lived, he died, rose again, he lives again. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Like, I'm ready, player one. Do you like that thought? Like, like look at this. Imagine this is, we went to a, uh, a white spot the other day, and um, we're ordering meals, and I like talking to whoever waits on our table. You know, once you get to know their name and all that type of stuff, and you ask them, like, how's your day been? What are you up to? And I, we're talking to this lady, um, and I was like, what are you up to after work? Not in a weird way, but just like... <laughs> Just an interesting, like, hey, what are you up to? She's like, hey, my PS5 just arrived this morning. I can't wait to go home and play it. I'm like, play it all night, right? And she's like, yeah, I'm like, ready, play one. Yeah, yeah, come on. And like, I thought to myself, this is a grown woman, probably the same, like, she's probably 35, and she's got the new PS5, and she's excited about it. Like, this is the world we live in. She's excited about sitting down on her couch and escaping everything that's real. And putting on this image of whatever she wants to be online in this virtual reality and forget for the next 12 hours responsibility. And I think about this, like she forgets that she needs to sleep, like that she probably needs to get up. And she did tell me I've got to work tomorrow, but you know what? YOLO, like you live once. I'm like, oh. I'm like, you're not sleeping because you get to play the PS5. I'm not sleeping because we're painting walls in a toilet in Squamish. I'm like... How did you get, how did you figure it out? But think about it, like, at the end of the day, you get to get up in the morning, and this is what I love about the Bible, like, you get a controller. Ever, ever played a game before? Like, I know there's, we've got a span of different people, but like, let's just pretend we've all been on an Xbox or a PS5 before, right? And I love when you're a kid, you spend so much time creating your avatar, like your online representation of who you are. Like you make sure, sometimes it looks like you, right? But you, you always choose the skinnier version. It's true, right? Right, and if you like got super white skin, somehow you got more beige skin. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Right, and if like you've got one eyebrow, now you've got two. It's the online avatar. You can be whatever you want to be online on this this, you know, pick what you would wish you could look like and, and you go on and you're like, hmm, okay, yep. And then you go and play this game. And I don't know about you, but I've played games before and it's, it's just electricity running through circuits and all of a sudden, like, you win in something and you're, you feel so good. But all you ever did was press buttons that sent different signals. <laughs> signals. And you feel like you've accomplished something through this, this lack of reality. It's just it's scary to think that uh, when you look at what's happening in this world, we celebrate what you can pretend to be more than what you can actually be. Right? Isn't that scary? Like, when we talk about ready player one, I mean, I, like, every one of you, you're playing in this game of life. You don't have a, a choice. You have been spawned into this earth. And you have to play. Now, how you play, what you choose to equip yourself with, you get decisions in that. And that's exciting. 
And the Bible is filled with men and women who played the same game. And they wrote down their experiences empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they tell us what, what equipment they chose and what mistakes they made and what armor they should have wore but didn't wear. And they begin to give us insight into how to play this game of life. And I say to you right now, are you ready, player? Have you put yourself, have you created the right armor, the right persona, the right identity to play this game of life that without your choice you were created and placed into, but now you have a will in that to decide what you do? I know for many of you right now watching, you could be in a hard season and things aren't looking great. You're in the fight of your life and barely keeping above the water, but at the same time, I'm not here to dilute your suffering, but to partner with you in truth and declare that God's not finished yet. He's not finished. You're not finished yet. Until you take your last breath, you are a player. Man, God is on the move in our church. He's on the move in your life. And what I love is that Christ, because what he has done for us, has given access, us access to what I would consider the most powerful armory in the world. The most powerful, do you know in those games, you just get to pick your weaponry? Christ has done that for us. He's unlocked every weapon you'd ever need to play this game of life and win. This can't be underestimated. I love movies. If I had more time in my day, I would spend nearly every spare moment watching the words and the pages of my Bible as I retain the life-given truth through the Gospels. But... To tell you the truth, I don't really watch that many movies. But if I do, you can ask Emma, who's not Colin. You can ask Emma. I love the movies. This is what I love. I love the movies where the hero has retired. Don't you love those movies? Where it's like, it's usually Denzel Washington. Yeah, right? Like, he's retired, but you know he's ready. He's like, yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, like an unforgiven debt appears from your past that we don't know much about. I love those movies. It's always at the most unexpected time, and our, like our hero, my hero, <laughs> seems doomed. You're like, oh no, he wasn't ready. Or was he? He like presses a hidden button like under a book. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like it's a stupid place to put a button, but it's there, then boom, like the third shoe moves to the left, and then a mirror in the hallway inverts on itself, defying physics, to reveal a well-maintained stockpile of weapons. Don't you love that? I love that. You're just like, come on, I wish I, wish I had something like that. Ever thought about that? You watch those movies like, man, I need that. Like everyone watched Escape Room, right? Not Escape Room. Um, uh, what's that room called? Panic Room, right? And instantly, when you're just like, I know every female, once they watch Panic Room, they're like dreaming of their dream home, installed a Panic Room in their dream home, in their head. I need a Panic Room. But the problem with that is the whole movie says you probably shouldn't have a Panic Room. Like she could have actually got out of the house. <laughs> Like, you ever thought about that? You watch the movie, just run out the back door. Get out. She gets stuck in this room for ages. But you watch these movies and you're like, I want that. I watch, I watch these movies where they have secret armories and I'm like, I want that. Don't you want that? And then when I look at the, the game of life we've been put in, all of a sudden, I realize we do have it. We do have that secret armory, right? It's here. It's here. It's the Bible. You just... All you have to do is press the, the button. If your Bible has a button or a page, turn it. Uh, wouldn't that be awesome? Press the button, it opens for itself. And all of a sudden, you realize you've got a stockpile of every weaponry that you'll ever need to win. The only thing is, is that in the movies, 
And we love this scene, right? They get like a duffel bag. And then they go through and they pick out like every weapon that they think they would need. Right? And they're like, it always starts off with like the big weapons, a few grenades, and it always ends with the double pistols. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, "Mm, mm." all right, I'm ready. But they have to go through and they've decided what they're going to get out of their armory. They already know, they've thought, okay, this is the battle ahead. This is what I'm being challenged with. This is what I'm being confronted with. What weapons do I need that are going to give me the best advantage to this scenario? What's going to give me the upper ground? God gives us this. He talks about this. He says, hey, I've got a well-maintained, well-stocked armory that you have access to day in, day out, and you don't have to work hard for it. You've just got to be able to know how to search it. We see here in Ephesians 6, and this is where we're coming, is to the armor of God, Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to begin to dissect it over this week and next. Verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the evil schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up your shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and then take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Oh man. Do you know what I love here? Is that I read this and it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God. Doesn't say put on some. Doesn't say put on 90%. It says put on the whole armor of God. To give you some sort of insight to what's going on here, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. He's the author of this book. He's imprisoned in Rome. And the way it works is that he is chained to a Roman soldier for most of the day. Actually, he becomes prolific at sharing the gospel to his captives day in, day out, right? And he's having this moment. And if you don't know much about the Apostle Paul, he is well learned in the things of Scripture. He knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand. He was studied in this. He was trained. It was his role. And he's sitting there in captivity and he begins to write this book to the church in Ephesus and he begins to deal with some stuff and he gets to this final chapter and you can see the picture right now. He's probably sitting up against a cold stone wall, chained in an uncomfortable situation with a Roman soldier who would be standing at attention. And he's looking at this guy's uniform now. Often when we think about the, you know, the armor of God, we think that he's talking about a Roman soldier, but he's not. The Roman soldier simply causes Paul to reflect on what was as a citizen soldier, which was somebody who dressed more like a, hop, a hoplite. So turn to someone and say hoplite. You've all played, anyone played uh, Age of Empires, the original one? Right? And you'd create the hoplites. You'd whoop, 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 the big round screen and the spear, stab things. That's what he's looking at. But he's being reminded by this Roman soldier. 
And it's funny, he's looking from his head to his feet and he says, put on the whole armour. See, see, armour back in those days, they all relied on one another. Like, you put it on a particular order, but there was rhyme and reason to the methodology of putting the armour on every piece that you placed. He says, don't wrestle against flesh and blood. He says, withstand, put on the belt of truth, shoes of, uh, 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 close your feet with, with shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. You can see all of a sudden the imagery. And we're going to talk about this because he actually, you know, Paul, when he writes this, he starts to actually refer to Isaiah's heavenly warrior. This is where the scriptures actually began when it came to the armor of God. And so Paul actually pulls it out of the book of Isaiah and he begins to place it into the New Testament in a new way in the light of Christ. I want to set the scene for you here, right? Um, Long ago, before the internet had really good connection, if you wanted to get a game and play a game, some of you might remember this, you had to go to like a blockbuster, right? You get your your DVDs, your Blu-rays, and you get your games there. And you go... And, you know, there, to tell you the truth, there wasn't as much, like, availability to games back then either. And so the games would come out, and you wouldn't actually know that the games come out. Like, I'm talking about cartridge, Sega Mega Drive, Sega Genesis, you know, Super Nintendo 64. You know, you'd see it, and you'd have to read what the game was about. Did you guys ever remember that? And, like, you actually cared about the blurb on the back of the case. And so to set the scene here of what's taking place... Paul has just made this, you know, beautiful teaching about what the world currently looks like, what it looks like now in the light of Christ, all the things that have changed because of what Jesus has done. And he comes down to this final uh, chapter in Ephesians uh, 6, and he begins to really drive this concept home. And he's coming home with this whole like, hey, guess what? There is evil out there. It, it hasn't just uh, ceased. Jesus didn't get rid of it completely. He's brought you back to life, but there's a cosmic battle going on. You now have spiritually been awakened. You're now a player in this. You're now a fighter in this. You now have in your access to the heavenly realms with grace and mercy and the authority of heaven. You have access to that because you are now at war. This is what he's painting the picture of. And so saying that, imagine you go into the shop, right? Ready, player one? You're like, you're ready to go in? And you're like, oh, what's this? Ready, player one, by the Apostle Paul. Okay, oh! That also happened at Blockbuster with me all the time. I'm on my back, Ben, what are you doing? I'm back. And you turn it around, and you're like, okay, what is this story about? This Jesus story, Paul's going... The groundwork has been laid for God's recreation of the human family. Hmm. Christ has wrought redemption. Come on. The new family has been reestablished through God's gracious adoption of sinners as his own children. Oh, okay. And yet, while this age, old of, age of sin and death continues, the new family must struggle in a battle against cosmic powers of this age in order to live it out. The new ethics of the new world brought to us by Christ. I want to play this game. Do you know what I mean? You're like, oh, what's my character? You're the small, fat, brown kid. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. But you can upgrade, right? (laughs) This is the scene. This is like, this is what Paul is bubbling everything down to. He's going, hey, guess what? 
At the end of the day, you've been risen to a level where you're now a soldier in the army of God. There is a cosmic battle going on. The, age old, uh, the old age of sin and death continues, but there is a new family. And as a new family, we must struggle. Like Christians, you know, I'd say this with just a bit of tongue in cheek, but we're the new mob. Right? We're the righteous gangsters. There's like a new traitor in town. There is a new gang in town. Like Jana said, we're all gangsters. Right? There's a new family in town. And now we've got to struggle against the age-old powers of sin and death. But we get to do that through a new order, a new order of ethics in a new age brought to us by Christ. See, as a member of this new family of God, believers are to find their strength and leadership for this warfare in Christ alone. See, it's not dependent on us. See, there's no implication that we should find it in ourselves or in our spirituality or our maturity or in our education, influence, position, prestige, money, programs, social rights, personal rights, in other people. It doesn't say that. His implication to us at the very start is put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because, uh, you know, it says this, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not in your own strength, not in what you can bring to the table, but what he has. So if I was to give you a picture now, you're standing in your armory that God has given you, and he's saying, hey, you get choices here. You get to, you get to armor yourself up in a particular way. How are you going to do it? I love what the, Psalms, uh, the psalmist writes in Psalms 144.1, uh, verse 1. It says this, praise, to be, praise, to, uh, so praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Oh, I love that. It just reminds me of like Petra, the old 80s rock band. Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. That's our God. He trains. He positions. He invests. He empowers. He trains us. He prepares us. I love that imagery. Like, yeah, come on. just want to pick up a sword spiritually. I hope you get the picture right now. What I'm trying to say to you is that even if you choose not to accept that you're in a battle, you are. And you have to make choices. And we make choices every day. You make choices to clothe yourself in certain things every day. And I'm not talking about just clothes. Some of us do a better job in that. Some of us don't. But I'm talking about spiritually. In your identity, you get a choice each and every day. You wake up and you choose to be a sad sack. And you place on the, the sackcloth of sadness and, and just the, the spirit of Eeyore. <laughs> then you live your whole day in that. And at the end of it, can I ask you, do you think you're going to go to bed and be like, wow, I love today. Today was on point. I knocked it out of the park. No, you go to bed going, my life sucks. I can't believe this happened. Because what? You chose that. Those were your armor pieces you chose. That was your armory choice of the morning. See, when we get up, we get to choose what I'm going to put on. We spoke last week about joy. You get to put joy on. It's a garment of praise. It's a robe. So if you have your armor of God on, think about it like in a really cool medieval fantasy way. Like that, that soldier is fully armored up, but then they have that really regal coat, that robe that sits on top of the armor. Well, that's what we're talking about here. Right, we've all played a game like, Emma, what was the game you like to play? Sims? Oh, yuck. No, the weird one. 
No, no, the weird one with uh, Fable. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird because it's really nerdy, but... Um, but, like, you can see this imagery, right? You get to pick what you're going to wear. And I, can I tell you, you can put on the garment of praise and you can clothe yourself with that and, and, and that could be it. Or you could put on the full armor of God and that final regal robe of praise sit on top of it. Now, not only are you a formidable soldier, you are looking fine, right? You walk with, a, like a, with some authority in your step. Like, there's one thing to have armor on. It's another thing to have armor on and a flowing robe that you can flick. Right, you walk in, like all of a sudden, every little thing you do carries authority. You go to get your coffee, you're like, <laughs> that's how you drink coffee, real quick. This is what God is, is speaking to us about through Paul. And Paul is all of a sudden pulling from Old Testament scripture like nothing else as he begins to create this imagery. And what I find interesting is that he's held captive and he has every right to be sad, to be depressed, to be defeated, to be you know, brokenhearted in this situation. But if anything, he stands there and goes, you know what, even though I'm held captive in the physical realm, I am a mighty warrior in the spiritual. Because he's thinking to himself, as I stay here captive, they haven't robbed me of my righteousness. They haven't robbed me of my truth. They haven't robbed me of the gospel of peace. They haven't robbed me from the salvation. They haven't robbed me from the shield of faith. They haven't robbed me from all the good things that come from the word. And he begins to reflect on it. And he's thinking to himself and he begins to, you know, the Holy Spirit begins to download into him and he begins to project it out, which would shift things for centuries to come. Is this concept as, as believers, we have access to an armory that makes us a formidable player in this game of life to make us ready like that screen is once you've, once you've equipped yourself 100%, that thing is like ready player one. Don't you love that? He looked at you, mate. You guys are ready? Oh, who didn't press A? Someone press A already. Come on. Oh, sorry, guys. I dropped out. We've got to restart. I'm There's some truth in that, hey? Ooh. I thought I was going to play this game with you forever. You know, the first thing that I find interesting, we're going to jump into the, 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 the different texts here in this scripture, is the word stand. Paul says, as you realize this grim power and resource of our spiritual foe is now against us, he says, hey, take the whole armor of God. So you, wouldn't, you would reject the armor of God at your peril. So at three times he repeats this word, stand. I think it's interesting that in all of this, his great objective in encouraging us to put on the whole armour of God is so that we can stand. We can't escape this. See, the first time he uses this word is in a compound where he says, withstand. Withstand. That means it implies that we're standing against a great opposition. To withstand something, right, is to, is to hold your ground as you are rushed, as you are pushed, as, you are in, as, 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 as something attempts to invade you, you have to withstand. He says the evil day, to which, you know, we could look at this, does he mean like the end day, the, the, the final apocalyptic day, Armageddon? Or is he talking about each and every day that you struggle with evil? 
Now, the interesting thing here is, is that I do believe he's actually speaking to both. He's speaking to like a crescendo. He's saying each and every day this world gets further from when Jesus was resurrected and closer to the final day is like a crescendo, right? So each and every day as a believer, we live what we face as evil, the battle becomes even more intense. And that's what he's saying. Each and every day will be worse than the next, but better for you than the last. Why? Because there's a great battle going on and it's leading to this final day of reckoning. And we each all play our part, a player in the game of redemption and recreation of this earth. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed and the man doomed to destruction. This is, this is Paul beginning to talk in Thessalonians about the final day. But then he, we also see in 1 John 2.18, it says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. He's talking about the final day. But at the same time, we see Paul begin to talk about a persistent need each and every day to push back on evil. So yes, we are talking about the great cataclysmic day of reckoning where Christ returns and there is a full recreation process that happens. We know this, and we're all fighting towards it. We might not see it in our lifetime, but we are laying seed, and we're fighting the battles, and we're waging war in the cosmic realms so that we would see as many people enter into heaven as possible, that those that we are fighting for so urgently, your neighbors, your friends, all of a sudden you're not fighting against them because it's not flesh and blood. You're fighting what is uh, over them, which is darkness. And we're saying to ourselves, okay, are you ready? Have you armed just, are you ready to stand? Are you persistent in this? We see in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, Paul writes this, do, not, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. <laughs> Don't you like that? In a race, everyone runs, but only one person wins. Then he goes, but you should run that race to win. It's, it's, it, does he think we're complete numpties? Well, no. But what he does think is that a lot of us run this race as if there's not a consequence. That's what he's saying, because you have to want to win. If you have no desire to win, you have no respect to the consequence in the race you are running. So why be it in there in the first place? Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I, find I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I find my, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. There's this, there's this depth of, of, of intentionality in what he's saying. He's like, why do you train? Why do you run? Why do you box? Is it so you could just show people that you can do it? Or is there a goal in mind? 
That's why he says when he says stand, so he stresses here with all the emphasis he can, having done all, having accomplished great things, they must be sure to stand. The reason he says this is that, believe it or not, Paul is concerned that even great believers, even great disciples and great apostles, though they do great things for God, at the end of the day won't be found standing. So he's employing them all, come on, get up, run the race, you trained for it. We're not running for a crown that lasts only for days, we're running for something that lasts forever. And so as he begins to set the scene of this is where we are, cosmic battle, There is darkness, there is evil, it is not this ambiguousness. There is a Lord over evil, there is a devil, there is Satan. This is what he's saying, he's saying there is a clear opposition. They have a game plan, they have resources, they have communication lines, they have your number, they're ready to battle. You have access to this, you've now stepped up into the heavenly realms. It's not so you can just feel these nice little hoo-hoo during worship. Your calling now is a spiritual calling. He says, you better arm yourself. Because like it or not, you're in the fight of your life now. And at the end of the day, either you're going to bring a stick or you're going to bring a sword. You're going to have a pizza box as your shield or you're going to have a fully cast metal shield that's made out of the best alloys so it's quite light so you don't have to crack too much of a sweat. He starts in order when it comes to the armour of God. He starts with the belt of truth. Can I tell you, and I'm going to remind you each time we talk through something, you can choose other pieces. See, the belt is not truth. He's just saying you should wear truth like a belt. Now, I know we look at our modern day belts, right? And we're like, okay, thread it through, it's fine. What he's talking about is the undergarment. There's an undergarment that, you would, that they would gird themselves with. You know what? Gird up your loins and go for a run. Ever read that in the Bible? Yeah? Or gird up your loins and go to battle? <laughs> like, it's there. This is what he's talking about. You gird, are you girding? Not the family jewels, but though he's probably, there's probably a message in that we could preach. You can choose other pieces. So right now he says you can choose the belt of truth. You should choose it. See, in the RSV, it says, having girded your loins with truth, <laughs> which, which the RSV has done their best in this to try to accurately translate the Greek phrasing, showing the tense used here and conveying that the sense of this is a deliberate personal action. Like you've got to deliberately gird yourself. Like you've got to choose. And like I said before, we're describing these Pieces of armor as they're put on in order. So truth is the first thing that is placed on. You're you're girding yourself. It's what comes on first, right? See, technically speaking, it's not a part of the armor. Because they would wear this, this belt for other reasons. Like there's multiple reasons you'd be wearing something. Like a, like a garment underneath. And when you'd go for a run, because the guys would wear long garments, right? Um, and when you'd go for a run, it was, it's quite hard to run in those type of garments. I'd know. Do it every other week. Just put on a garment and go for a run. But what they would do is, is that they would pull it up and they would roll it and they would tie it so they'd gird themselves so that they could run or they could fight, they could wrestle, they could battle. 
This is what he's saying. Because remember, he's looking at the Roman soldier, but he's actually reflecting on the citizen uh, soldier. Say that's really hard. Soldier of a Greek state. This is what he's reflecting on. So he says, you gotta, you gotta gird yourself. You gotta, you gotta put on the belt of truth. See, I love this because this is this is a preparation action necessary for every person to run a good race, to fight the good fight. We see in Luke 12, 35, it says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Stay dressed for action. Do you have your military fatigues on? What are you wearing right now? Are you a superhero? Yeah? Like, uh, are we all hidden Christians and when something happens, we're like, <laughs> Right? I've girded myself. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on, on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love that. Preparing your minds for action. Isaiah 11.5, and this is what Paul is thinking about when he's looking at this soldier. It says that the righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Hey, looking at this and knowing that Paul is actually reflecting on Isaiah and, and not the Gospels at the moment because they're not written in the context that he would be reflecting on, knowing that he's reflecting on Isaiah, can I tell you right now, he's not using the word truth as in the sense as the Gospel of truth. He's actually talking about truth as in your integrity. It's easy to be like, oh, yep, I'm wearing the belt of truth, which is the Gospel. It's not what he's talking about. He's being very practical here. He's saying, are you a truthful person? Are you a person of integrity? Is, is, are we about to put on all these armor pieces on something that is a lie? Are we about to place all these necessary pieces of protection on something that is fake, that is false, that is made up, that is a projection, that is something that we can't actually build on? So he's saying right here, as the first thing that you put on, are you building the truth? In your life. Psalms 51.6, we see the psalmist write, Behold, you delight in the truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. It's the truth in the inward being, not the truth of the Gospels, which is undeniable, by the way. Rather, the character of you. Is it honest? Is it integrous? Is it trustworthy? Is it truthful? This is an interesting thought, right? Because as believers, we love to live in the concept that Jesus has done it all. And it's true. He has fulfilled it all. He's completed it all. However, it doesn't remove the responsibility of us to make right decisions each and every time we're faced with a decision. And what Paul is saying here, hey, ready player one, have you begun to actually formulate the truth, the reality on your life that someone can trust? Like if you are, you know, Emma had an accident in the car the other day. She reversed into a car and she came home and she told me, and if you know me well enough, that could go one of two ways, depending on if had I had lunch yet, if I was in the right state of mind, but it actually went pretty neutral. Hey, it was just a stare off for a bit. But then when we had time to talk about what happened, Emma's like, I ran into a car, reversed into a car. She wasn't there. 
But I got out and I began to write a note to let her know that I had reversed into her car. And in the midst of writing the note, the woman turns up and sees Emma writing the note. And do you know what she's blown away by? She says, I can't believe you're so truthful. Like, I can't believe you stuck around. You could have left. You could have just, you know, done what probably a lot of other people would have done and just gone, you know what? I wasn't seen. I'm out of here. But Emma stays and starts to write a note. And what I love about it is this woman's going to retell this story. She's going to be like, oh, I got reversed into. You know what the weird thing is? Is that the lady who did it stuck around and was writing a note to let me know it was her, giving, her, giving me her detail. This is what the Bible is talking about when it says to put on the belt of truth. This is the perfect example. Like it's saying, when no one else knows what you're doing, no, no one else sees the decisions you're making and how you're making it, are you making it in truth? Because if you're not, your first piece is now compromised. Because you, like I said before, you can put on other garments. You could choose to put on, all right, let's not use truth as the belt. Let's put dishonesty on. Because the world says you've got to do whatever you need to do, do whatever it takes, backstab, you know, gossip, create rumors, destroy to get where you need to be because you deserve it. And so you put on the belt of malice. You can do that. You can choose that from your armory. There's other pieces there. It's not just what God's given you. You can choose other pieces. See, if you operate with the belt of truth, this gives you ease and freedom of movement. Isn't that awesome? That's what he's saying. Hey, if you tie up, (laughs) if you gird your loins, you get to move now. If you do it in truth, you get to move without the fact or the fear that you're being watched, that you can't be transparent because you've made decisions you shouldn't have made. He's actually saying not the gospel of truth, but your character. Is it truthful? We're going to finish on this second bit here right now. This is the breastplate of righteousness. Like I said before, you can choose other bits of armor to use as your breastplate. See, I love this because it's got to be put on. Now, there's a discussion here, and I want to talk about this, is that is Paul talking about the imputed righteousness that we get through Christ, just the the justification through faith, or is he talking about righteous living? See, this description comes from, once again, Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah, or he's reflecting Isaiah, and he says this, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in a zeal as a cloak. This is what Isaiah has written. In 2 Corinthians, we see Paul write in chapter 6, By truthful speech and by the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. When we begin to realize what Paul is drawing from, it seems to indicate that what was on his mind as an apostle at this point was not the righteousness of God which is imputed to us. And we read about that in Romans Though this is super important and he's not, he's not getting rid of it, it exists. He says, hey, you've been made beautiful, though you started off as ashes. Your character has been made righteous before God. That's no small thing. He's not trying to remove that. But what he's saying is beyond that point, we actually have a responsibility to righteous living. He's talking about intentional choice of living with an upright character, like a loyalty in principle, 
an action to the holy law of God. Like he's saying, hey, you can't live a frivolous life for Christ. You can't say, hey, well, I've got the righteousness of Jesus and then do nothing about it in your decision making. He says, what's going to protect your heart is not the imputed nature of Christ that we get. It's your decision to live upright day in, day out. Isn't it funny that he says, first, let's put on truth. Now let's talk about righteousness, right? Because if you're not a truthful person, you will never value righteousness. If you don't understand the depths that truth can plunge you into in a healthy sense, the foundations it can build in your life, you will never give any time to righteousness. So he says, now that you've dealt with truth, let's talk about righteousness. He's not saying the righteousness of Jesus. That's assumed. He's saying, what are you doing with it? With your freedom now, with your recreation now, are you making righteous decisions? Are you living to the principles and the laws of God? Are you giving it your everything? Because you can put on other chest plates, other breastplates. You can put on ones that say, hey, I'm going to put on the breastplate of selfishness, of greed, of self-determination, of self-morality. And I'm going to decide and I'm going to be the one. Whatever suits me is what I'm going to do. See, if you neglect to live a righteous life, if you do not put on the armour of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, you leave a gaping hole in the hit spot. Like if someone wants to take you out, they're either going to hit you in the head or they're going to hit you in the heart, right? Most of the time, it's they're going for central mass. They're just trying to hit you in the chest. Even now, when police officers are trained to shoot, they are trained to shoot at the largest mass of the body, which is your chest to incapacitate you, knowing full well you are likely to die. He's talking about intentional choice here in Romans 6.13. It says, Do not present your, your, uh, your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Instruments for righteousness. He desires us to live a life that glorifies Him in righteous decision. Can I say this to you right now? You can't honestly know Jesus being transformed by His Spirit, being changed into a new creation and still live unrighteously. That means each and every day you're doing what is right in the sight of God. You're doing what is right. It's interesting how He begins to talk about things that are completely within our control. He says, even though there's so much stuff outside there that's out of your control, though there's evil out there, there's principalities out there, you're at war, I'm going to ask you to clothe yourself with the armor of God that you have control over. He doesn't say the gospel of truth. He says, just be a truthful person. He doesn't say, hey, you need to have the imputed righteousness of Christ. He assumes you've got that in saying yes to him. You've got to live righteously. You've got to make right decisions. You've got to honor God in right decisions. So when we say ready player one and you're creating your avatar, are you choosing the belt of truth? When you go out in your day, God, whatever happens today, I'm going to tell the truth. If I reverse into someone, I'm going to leave a note. If I break the speed limit, I'm going to drive straight to the police station. I'm going to hand myself in. I've been a, no, I'm, I'm talking about what are you doing with your truth, your internal truth? What are you doing with the righteousness? I want to be known. As somebody, no matter what you come bearing in my life, no matter conversation, no matter what action you've done, you know when you come to Pastor Ben, and this should be the same for you, that you're going to get a righteous response. Not an emotional response, 
not a, not a, you know, a, a response motivated by my own agenda. But no matter what I'm going through, you're going to get a righteous response. That's what the world needs right now. It needs Christians to be known as righteous. Our response is righteous. No matter how we feel, no matter how you vote, no matter what you think should happen here or there or in the US or whatever, you're known as somebody of righteousness. Because all of a sudden, you're not wearing, like I said, some sort of shabby leather breastplate. You've got this shiny metal armored one, beautifully sculpted and engraved with the language of heaven on it. And you are an impressive individual in the game of life. You're an imposing figure in the game of life. You no longer are the one running, but the one standing like Paul asked you to do. Stand firm. Withstand. How you do that is through truth knowing that you're a truthful person. And how you do that is through righteousness, knowing you make the right decision in light of God's principles and morality. Church, I want you to know, we're going to go into worship now. That yes, we are all in this game of life and we're all playing it. Some of us know Jesus and have been elevated into the spiritual realms of battle right now. And you have a responsibility And you have a calling. But what I love is Jesus, before he left, he says, hey, I'm not going to leave you alone. Don't you love that? Is that even though we are beginning to armor ourselves up, we still do that in the battle line formations led by the greatest general, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That he still stands before us in flames and in whiteness and in righteousness. And he begins to lead us. We're not alone in this, but he's saying, be prepared because though you fight alongside me, you still have a role to play. I want to fight with you. I don't want to do this alone. It's all about relationship. So as we go back into worship, just think about these two things. Are you a truthful person? And are you a righteous person? Because we know the gospel is truthful and we know our Christ has imputed righteousness. But are you truthful? And are you righteous? Can't do this alone. hope you enjoyed this message we would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast other ways you can connect with avant life is through youtube instagram and facebook or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com